praying for several in our uh, in our own um, community of uh, Christ followers that are dealing with lots of different sicknesses and struggles this morning. Uh, It's good to acknowledge those and trust God in those, and pray for His healing in those, and um, and and trust Him in those affirmities and those difficulties. And we want to do that uh, for sure today. Um, We are going to wrap up uh, this series on Galatians with our ninth sermon. It took us nine sermons to get through six chapters. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I've done a lot worse. Ephesians is about the same amount of chapters, and I think it was in the 20s of the sermons in Ephesians. Um, So I left some stuff, so maybe we can go back to Philippians or uh, Galatians at some point in the future, and we'll... Uh, we'll pick some other things out of it. Let me tell you, you could go on and on once you get into God's Word. Every single, I mean, this morning I'm taking seven verses, verses 11 through 18. It's actually eight verses. Um, and literally, I could have preached a sermon on each one of these. Uh, but I'm taking where the Spirit is guiding me this morning. That's what we're going to do. Um, how about last week, Connor Hall, who was here for Connor last week or watched it online? Uh, big hand for Connor. He'll never know. But we'll do it anyway. I was super thankful for him. We watched, uh, and we were on vacation, and uh, we did miss you all. We really did. And uh, we're glad to be back. Um, and I'm so thankful for Connor stepping in and doing a terrific job. I loved his opening illustration when he said, when you take your eye off the road, you become a dangerous person, uh, and how that applied to what Paul was writing in this letter to the church at Galatia, when we get our eye off Jesus, when we get our eye off the foundation, the core of what the gospel is, we become dangerous uh, people. Um, so he, he, he took the first 10 verses of chapter 6 and did a fantastic job with them. Uh, this morning we're going to take these last, uh, last eight verses, 11 through 18. There's something pretty incredible about these verses. Let's read through them and then... Uh, and, and Oh, I had a couple announcements I was supposed to make and I'm already started preaching. I didn't miss it. If y'all want to give to God, you want to donate right in the middle of the sermon. We're not going to pass the offering plate. We've got a box over here if you're here in person. If you're online, you can do that online or through the Giveify app. Uh, we're thankful for your faithful giving. God has blessed us to do things in this community um, that is just incredible. And you are each and every one a part of that a part of what he's doing. I mean, providing a, a boxing gym, a coffee shop, like serving the community, living out, and some things we're going to talk about at the end. But we are missional. We are on mission in this community and what God is calling us to do. And he's always provided the resources uh, to do it through you. Um, we are still planning uh, next Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Uh, our uh, mini retreat, Fill My Cup is the name of it. Uh, with the women's ministry. Uh, we're gonna, any of those that have been involved in planning that, if you'd like to stay after church today, we're going to talk just a little bit about it and uh, get a game plan. We're going to watch the cases this week. We're not saying we're not doing it, but we might reschedule it. We just want to get with everybody and talk about it and see how this week goes. Um, so if you want to be involved in that conversation after church, hang out just a few minutes and see Ramona. And the Bible studies on uh, to, to start Monday, August 20. Third, typo. Sunday can't be August 22nd and Monday, so 
I'm thinking Sunday's the 22nd and Monday's the 23rd. Um, but be praying about that and be plugged in. All right, the sermon. Let's read these verses. Galatians 6.11 uh, says, Notice what let, large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. As an introduction to these last verses, I want you to, I want you to see that through this, the entire letter, the first five and a half chapters, it's likely that Paul was, um, was uh, dictating his words to a scribe that was writing this letter. And I almost, I almost just let Connor wrap this thing up last week, and I thought, I'll just start something new when I get back. And I went back and read these last eight verses again and saw the things I'd highlighted when I first read the entire book again when we started preaching the series. And I read this verse. I was like, wait, we can't go all the way to the point where Paul's been telling somebody to watch out. And then he gets the pen, and he's like, look, this is really me. And this is really important. And th look at what large letters I'm writing, and I'm telling you this. My, this is from my hand. This is how important this is. And he gives this great clarity and summary of everything we've talked about for the last uh, eight weeks. And I thought, how can I stop here? We've got to see how Paul finishes this out. He says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And this world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. And here's the title of this morning's sermon. What counts Ask yourself in that that question in your life, what counts by the life you're living? What 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 is coming out in your life that shows what counts, what matters most? That's what Paul's saying. What counts, what is most important, what is most critical over everything else that anybody can ever teach you or you can ever learn or you can ever discover or you can ever experience, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. Amen. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. I love how he finishes the last three verses. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. He's writing this to Judaizers, to the church, to people who understood Jewish religion before and what they thought God was and how he was going to save them and love them and what they had to do. He's like, these are the new people of God, not just Israelites. These are open to Gentiles and, and people and, and Samaritans and all these people you don't like. The people who have been new creatures through their faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that he's poured out on them, they are the new people of God. 
And then just like a teacher kind of, you know, we're getting ready to go back to school and like I can imagine a teacher hearing them say this. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things, right? They've asked you a million times. You've told them a million times. You were so frustrated. Like, here's the last time I'm saying it. The point, the discussion, the debate is over. Don't ask me again because I've been through it. It's what Paul's saying. For I bear on my body the scars. And my wife was a teacher for four years. And she literally almost had scars on her body from teaching freshmen. I know the struggles, the challenges our teachers face, especially in this trying time. But he says, for I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I want to look at just three things here, and we're going to transition into what will be our next sermon series. Um, the first thing I want us to see is I gave you the introduction of 11. This is Paul. This is his own writing. He's writing this. This is what he's saying. And he tells us something in verse 12. He says, though we're trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. These Judaizers, uh, they, they had picked one thing, circumcision. This was uh, of the Jewish religion. This was the one indicator, uh, uh, became a significant indicator of people's holiness and whether they were God's chosen people or not. Um, and, and so they had picked this one thing, and they told the church at Galatia, those that were following Christ and put their faith in Christ, they told them, yeah, that's important, but you also have to keep doing this one old, this other rule that we have, you've got to be circumcised before you can be saved. It's a strange thing, but that's the way it's designed, it's the way God did it. And, and so they, they picked this one thing. And you said, well, how does that apply to us today? Well, they picked one thing, and so you will meet people today who will pick one specific thing. And they will make that the indicator of holiness. Because Paul goes on to say here in verse 13, he says, They picked this one thing, yet they don't keep the whole law. Like, they've picked this one thing, and they're, they're pushing it on everybody. And he's saying, you can't take one, you've got to take it in its entirety like, if you want to say the law and being good and right is how you please God, then you can't pick one thing. You've got to do it all. And Paul has made it clear, like, we've all come short. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We can't do it all. This, this idea that they are doing this and picked one thing is totally incorrect. And so people today, they might pick drunkenness. I mean, you might have somebody that's just totally against drinking and drunkenness, and they will condemn and judge everybody who is drunk. Yet, they might be consumed with their own, their own sin. They, they might preach against or teach against, or there will be people that condemn drunkenness while be consumed with their unrestrained love of food. We pick drunkenness, man, if you're, but I'm going to eat all my Big Macs and eat all that. Like, I eat everything I want, and we pick that one thing, and yet this part of our life, our own sin, our own life, we completely ignore it. And we, we let food become an idol in our life, and this is me. I might be this guy. Um, I love food. <laughs> 
I mean, I just do, really. Like, vacation, it should be called foodcation. It's like, you're right, if you're going on vacation, are you planning your dinners and your meal? Like, I'm thinking of the restaurant, right? Okay. But we pick this one sin, gluttony, but that's different. You know, I do that, and I'm a good guy, so good people, that's okay. I'm a churchy guy, and I can, I can be a glutton, but I couldn't be a drunk. Is that real? Is that real that we see it that way, that we can be consumed with something? Or, or they might pick homosexuality and say that, that sin, you know, that is awful. Yet we might have this deep obsession of material things. I mean, so much so that we, we, we've, we've, we've taken credit cards out and we've got debt to the hilt. Right, that's affecting our family's financial future because we just wanted more things or nicer cars or bigger homes or better in our closet. Like, and so we're so consumed with material things and we could be doing that, yet we pick this one thing out and say, they can never. Like that, that's the thing that makes us righteous. You can't be that. And we might stand up for prejudice or injustice and say, people cannot be doing that. Yet we might have lust in our heart and be dealing with our own uh, sexual struggles and pornography. I mean, there are all these things, right? You think somebody couldn't come in your closet, get in your brain, and find the thing for you? And yet we will pick it. And, and, and Paul's saying, they're doing this. And he talks about their motivation. This week on vacation, we went to a thrift store. Who likes thrift stores? You can tell I love one. Bethany loves one. We love thrift stores. We, the, the church, we've got one. Never thought we would. That's pretty cool. Uh, but we went to this thrift store, and I got there. And uh, all, everybody else had gone in first. And I was coming in, and they had some stuff sitting out front. I guess it was kind of like clearance. I mean, clearance in a thrift store. It doesn't get much cheaper than that. And so they had this like little girl's bike, and then they had this other bike there. And we've been talking about getting Beth, Bethany a new bike. And uh, I thought, man, that, could, that looks like a pretty neat bike. That actually looks like a pretty good bike. I think that's a good bike. And so I walked over, and I looked at it. And uh, it didn't have a price on it yet, and I thought, that's pretty neat. So uh, I, I thought, and I looked at the gears, and like it all looked like nice stuff. Like you know the difference when you see a nice bike and a, a decent bike. And I, so I looked it up. On my phone, right, on eBay or wherever, how much it sells for. And it's a $350 bike. New bike, $350. This is a thrift store. I'm like, man, we could get this and sell it. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I'm getting all excited and motivated. And so I jump on the thing. I ride it around the parking lot. I'm like, oh, it works. The gears change. The brakes work. And so uh, and I park it in a different spot, like close to my vehicle, because it's going there. And, uh, and, and I'm thinking, if, if she says 50, mm, I don't know, that's still a little stiff for a bike at a thrift shop that we don't really need, but kind of want. 25 is going in my car. So I walk into the, the counter and I say, hey, uh, that bike out there, I don't have a price on it yet. How much y'all asking for it? And she said, Oh, that's somebody's. <laughs> and like immediately I flashed back to the moment when I walked up to it and I'm like looking at it. And I'm wondering, man, was that person that owned it watching me? 
that were they looking out there like, that guy's riding my bike around the parking lot. <laughs> and when they walked out and it was parked in a different spot, did they scratch their head? Did they, did they wonder? But see, when we have the wrong motivations, and that's where it started. Like, I started thinking, man, I could get this cheap bike and it'd be good for me. Maybe we could sell it and make, what am I trying to make 50 bucks off a bike at the thrift store for? I mean, what in the world? I'm going to have to haul it home. We're in a minivan. I already got one strapped to the roof because we took it with us. Like, this is, but wrong, bad motivations can get us into trouble quick. And you see these Judaizers here, they had the wrong motivation. It says they just wanted to impress people. They wanted to have people following them. They wanted numbers. They wanted disciples for themselves. And they had the complete wrong motivation, and Paul had made it clear. He said they want to claim you as their disciples. They're just trying to build a name for themselves. And see, God cares about our motivations. And here they had it all wrong. Verse 14, he says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. You want to talk about righteousness, and he's getting to the point of what I said earlier, what counts is that we are a new creation. And here he says, because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. You remember Paul also said, all these things that I counted as gain, like being in the Sanhedrin, being a leader and making it, and all these things. If you remember the scripture where he said, you know, now all that to me is like garbage. I mean, it's just rubbish. Like I thought it was so important. I thought it was so important and now it's nothing. And he says, in the world's interest me and has also died. I'm going to ask you two questions here, rhetorical, hypothetical. You think about it. The world here, here. What? What? You can ask this question two ways when you read it. What in the world interests you? Like, hey, just tell me what some things you're interested in. But what I really want you to ask is what in the world interests you? What is the temptation? What is the distraction? Because I could tell you, man, try hard or make that list, pick that thing. But what Paul is really saying here is like when I gave my life to Christ, I was crucified to that interest in the world. That like through the power of the Holy Spirit, when you lean on that strength, sure, make the list, know the thing, but also know you can't do it by yourself and lean on him. So Christ has already conquered death. The greatest stronghold man has ever known. He has conquered it. He can conquer the stronghold in your life. What in the world interests you? I mean, it could be a lot of different things. Position, acceptance, recognition, money, sex, pleasure, honor, food. <laughs> I keep throwing that one in there possessions what is it man gets you distracted so fast like I was right on track but I saw that I thought about that and like it's been three days I don't even know where I'm at with God 
Here's the other thing I've found about Paul is in one time the world loved him. They were cheering him on. But it said when he gave his life to Christ, all of a sudden he was no longer attractive to the world. That's a powerful thought for me that, that part of human nature is to be accepted, to be wanted, to, to have recognition in the world, to have honor in the world. And he says, you know, when you give your life to Christ, your old friends, your old ways, your old networks, the old things that you used to be and do and live and see, yeah, you, it, there's going to be a, a, a price you pay here. They're going to find no attraction in you anymore. He says he was crucified to the world, and the world was crucified to him. It doesn't matter uh, whether our sin is drunkenness, whether our sin is gluttony, whether our sin is prejudice and injustice, whether our sin is doubt and fear. It doesn't matter whether our sin is homosexuality. It doesn't matter uh, whether our sin is uh, uh, just consummation with material things and possessions and wealth and money. It doesn't matter any of those things. This is what Paul's saying. It doesn't matter. It says what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. When we are transformed into a new creation, we don't have to get all bound up in the rules and laws. This is exactly what he is saying. That's what the whole book has been about. Freedom through Christ. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Of the, from, from the pressure to try to be good enough. From the pressure and the penalty of sin. And he says once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, our lives will begin to bear fruit. We spent a lot of time there, right, on the spiritual fruit. And I'm not saying, man, Christians just can live in rampant sin. and just That is not what I'm saying. But we cannot make any given sin there's somebody struggles with an indicator of their salvation. Because <laughs> sin is not how you get, not sinning is not how you get saved. It is by having faith in Jesus Christ and by his grace. We're going to sing this song in a minute, Amazing Grace. We don't sing Amazing Jared. I've done so good. I didn't, didn't uh, I ate all grilled chicken this week. Mm. I'm right with God. Because I did that, I, uh, you know, we sing amazing grace. We acknowledge Jared failed this week. I might do better next week with the Lord's help, but I will not do perfect. I will fail at perfection next week. My wife will confirm it. What counts is whether we have been transformed. I was, uh, yesterday, we got back, we were gone a week and a half, and uh, the yard was huge. We got back Thursday evening, and Friday, uh, 
Uh, I had like just a pile of work to try to get ready for today and do different things. I really did check out this. I was the first vacation I've been on in a long time that I didn't do a lot of work. Wasn't checking emails all the time. I was like a little checked out. It had piled up a little bit when I got back. So Friday I was working from home and trying to get caught up in our yard, really new mode. I was going to try to do it that evening. And Beth was out walking around. And she asked uh, a young man in the neighborhood, in our neighborhood, like he was walking around. She said, hey, could you mow our yard today? Like, just help out. We'll pay you to mow our yard. He's like, I can maybe mow it Monday. And she was like, well, we really need it done right now. He said, I might be able to mow it tomorrow. And she said, well, if my husband doesn't get to it today, you can mow it tomorrow. I'll let you know. And, uh, and he said, I can mow it today. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so uh, she said, all right, you come, come mow it. You can use our riding mower. Uh, bring your weed eater. You can use our riding mower. And uh, so, so he comes down. He's never used a, well, he's used a riding mower one time before. And, um, and it's been a while. And so I, I, was, I took him out and was going to get it started, show him how to, to, to run it and work it. And it wouldn't start, which has kind of been a thing that's happened several times in the past of this, this mower. And, uh, and I, I'd figured out, because I'm basically a mechanic, like the first time I was like, it won't start. And so like this has happened several times this summer. And I would just like, I'd either just like hit it, like at the top. And like when I turn it, it just grinds. It's like, I was like, I don't know what that is, but it probably needs hit. <laughs> and so I, I would just hit the top of it. And like, no joke, most of the time, like a, maybe twice, sometimes I'd have to get out and kick it. But it would start, and then I'd mow. And so he was there, and it was doing that thing. And, uh, and I was like, I know how to fix this. And, and so I hit it, and then, uh, and then I got off, and it, didn't, it wouldn't start. I raised the hood up. I hit the actual engine. Like... Uh, <laughs> This is true. This is a real story. And it still wasn't starting. I was going, man, I don't know. This always fixes it before. Like every time it usually starts eventually. And, uh, and so I, I was off at this point. He was sitting on it. And I was like, I'm going to kick it. So I kicked the motor. Like, all right, you try starting it while it's grinding. I'm going to kick it. And so, I mean, this went on for like five minutes, ten minutes. I mean, I probably could have mowed the yard by the time I'm helping him try to get, figure out how to use the mower and set it up. And so... Uh, I finally get to the point, like, I'm going to kick it hard. Like, I think it just needs a harder kick. And so the, the and it's a John Deere lawnmower. I mean, it's like an L110, whatever that means. I bought it off a neighbor. It's 15 years old, but it does great. It was way better than the Troy belt I had. And so I said, I'm going to kick it harder. That'll fix it. So I was kicking it hard. And no joke, like, the whole big green hood that looks cool on a John Deere, like, broke off. <laughs> I was like, man, I just... This yard, just let it grow. At this point, I was like, I was sweating. I wasn't planning on sweating at that time of the day. And I was soaking wet with sweat. And the hood was laying there. A light bulb had popped out. And one was still connected. The thing wouldn't start. And I was ready to give up. And then it started raining. I was like, man, just go home. It, they ain't going to get to do this. He's like, I could weed eat right now. So I said, all right, just go weed eat. So he was weed eating in the rain. I said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm a YouTube mechanic. So I go in. I YouTube it. I look it up. And, uh, and, and it says it's a starter. I didn't know what that was, but I watched the video, and I said, my, it's got one of those that looks like that. And, uh, and so I get my socket set, and I go out, and I just watch enough to see, like, oh, it's the starter. It's got this little thing, this gear, and when you turn the ignition, it pops up and connects with the gear on the mower and turns it and starts it. It's like, oh, that's easy enough. Mine's stuck. It's, when it's grinding like that, it's just staying down here, and it's spinning, but not touching the gears on the motor. 
I was like, I got to get those gears to the motor. So I go out, and I hit, and he comes over and watches me at this point. I got the side. He's like, what are you working on? What, what is that? I was like, I don't know, a starter or something. And so I'm taking these bolts out, and, like, everything starts to fall off. And I think I broke the whole thing. I'll never get this back together. But I got the shield off. I could see, yeah, that's exactly what was happening. It's turning it. It was spinning, but it wasn't connected. And so I sprayed WD-40 on it. I took screwdrivers. I hit it. I got it like that. And all of a sudden, it pops up. I'm like, man, I've done it. I fixed a mower. And so I was like, all right, get on and start it. We got it. Click. The battery was almost dead because we'd done it for so long, like grinding that thing. It didn't have enough juice in the battery to turn the motor. We finally boosted it and it worked. It's, it ran. But here's what I realized is what counts. is like those gears, some of us and me, some of like we are spinning so hard. Like, it was just spinning. It was doing its job. It was trying hard. But it did not have a direct contact, a relationship with the thing that mattered. Like, it was spinning. It was trying so hard. Like, you're trying. You're trying to not, trying to not drink and eat too much food and, and, and dress right and be right. And you're trying all these things. You're being religious. You're going to church. You're trying all these things. And, but you're not connected. And, and what he's saying, what really matters is if you have a direct relationship, a direct connection with Jesus Christ himself. That takes care of everything else. Bethany's reading a, a book right now uh, by Louis Giglio, and when she's reading the book, I'm basically reading it too because I get to hear all the good stuff in it, right? And so she was telling me this morning uh, about a, a chapter of actually just a paragraph she just read, and I thought, that, God had you read me that for this morning's sermon. Goliath must fall is the title of the book, Louis Giglio. This is the, the, the paragraph that she read to me. That's why comfort is perhaps the scariest giant of them all. It's so subtle in its deception. It's the giant that causes us to miss the very best because we have settled for something good. On the surface, everything looks fine. What could be wrong with having a good job, a nice family, a routine? The problem is we might forget that in the grand scheme of things, namely eternity... We have about five seconds on earth to make our lives count. Really count. <laughs> like really matter. And as the title of the sermon can be a question to you, what counts? What matters to you? And last year, you've seen me uh, 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 really be a, uh, a man whose life has been wrecked by the cross of Christ. Like, I, I'm going to share some things here in close. I'm not going to go much longer, but there's just some things i got to share with you um, that you've seen as Bethany and I, God has just been working our life over the last year as we've made some, like, critical life decisions that God just put in us to leave a uh, full-time career and be in missions and, and ministry. 
Um, and I thought about that, and I thought about this, and I think about I spent this time at the organization called SOAR, Shaping Our Appalachian Region, doing all this community and economic development work. And, and, and as I was, I was reading this, I was thinking back of what God was putting on our heart, and he was continuing saying, what counts? What matters? What counts in eternity? And so we were feeling this moving in our life, and so we, we, we stepped, I mean, this was a huge faith decision for us. It's faith that God gave us. I don't know where it came from because a year prior to it, I would have never done it. I was always saying someday I might. Right? It's really easy, so easy to say someday I might. I would do that if God wanted me to. He doesn't want me to right now. That's, right? That's always right. Yeah, if he ever wants me to, I'll do that. But not right now. He doesn't want that. And finally, uh, through really several different people, God spoke into our lives and just gave us confirmation and affirmation. Be like, you could do it. God can do it. If you trust him, if he's calling you into it, do it. He's taking care of us in lots of ways. But I want to I share just this, this thought of comfort and what it means to be a church on mission. There's this quote by Ed Stetzer. It says, missional means adopting the posture of a missionary, joining Jesus on mission, and learning and adapting to the culture around you while remaining biblically sound. Think of it this way. Missional means living and acting like a missionary without ever leaving your city. So many times we think of missions as a church as like, oh, we've got to go some other place, we've got to do something. And yet God has called every church to be missional. <laughs> like we are called into communities and culture. God, this is God's church. He is always on mission. He's never say, I'm just going to get a group of people together so they can meet every Sunday for a few years. Like, that's not what he's doing. He is calling people together to serve and love the community and change and transform communities by changing hearts. And that's what churches are called to do. And so I want to share real briefly, and we're going to spend the next several weeks, I don't know how long, I don't have it all mapped out, guys doing this in a series called On Mission. Made for mission, life on mission. We're going to talk about as individuals, what has God called us into to serve and live and share the gospel? And we're going to look as a community, as a church, what is God calling us to do in this place, in this building? How do we serve? How do we love? How do we live out the gospel? The mission of our church is to share the good news of Jesus Christ, develop leaders or develop believers to become leaders, and to show compassion on our neighbor. We live out the gospel. And so as part of this, what happened several months ago, we left in November. This story could go way longer, but I'm not going to let it because I know I'm like, I should have quit by now. But if you can hang on just five minutes, all right? If, can I have five more minutes? I'm graciously asking. Five more minutes. November first was my last day in December we were sitting out here and through connections uh, uh, just God works through people and circumstances we were sitting out here uh, in early December and I was meeting with two or three people from Southland Christian Church in Lexington okay Southland you all know announced a couple years ago maybe you do know you don't know they announced they were going to put a campus in Pottville they were going to do something in eastern Kentucky 
Um, and nobody knew what that meant. They were looking. They didn't know what they were going to do. Through COVID and through the, the things that happened and the shutdown, God did some incredible things in Southland and through Southland. And they changed kind of their approach from adding multi-site campuses to an initiative on church planning. All right, they, they, they've changed their, their whole thought process. They're not going to be planning a campus uh, in Pikeville, uh, but they have a heart to create new churches across Kentucky. And um, so in this, we were just having conversations December and... Man, the spirit just aligned with their hearts and, and, and our hearts here. And, and over the months, we've had several meetings, and, and we've been there. And, 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 and so what has come out of all of this uh, is there was a, a meeting where I was down there, and I was meeting. They've hired a director of church planning. And Bethany and I were there, and we were meeting with them. And, um, and, and he said, you know... God has wrecked this church's leadership's heart for the mountains of Kentucky. And uh, he said, but we're realizing we don't know about the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And he said, we got resources and we got people and we're ready to do things, but we don't know what to do. Uh, we need, we just need somebody to lead this initiative. For the mountains, and uh, and they and he looked at me. He said, "If you were still at Soar, we would not be having this conversation." <laughs> and like I'm crying, like I'm, you don't know how many times I've cried over the last six. How Bethany and I have just been like, "Can you? What is God doing?" And and so, what's going to be rolling out is a thing. Uh, that really our church is going to be partnering with them uh, called Together for the Mountains. This is going to be an initiative uh, that has a heart to connect and network new churches in the mountains and plant new churches in the mountains. There's lots of details coming out about this. It's going to be coming out more in the fall. Uh, to be able to serve as your pastor and be in this role and see where God had taken me through what I thought the last decade was like all a thing and then the, the relationships and the network and all those things, but I didn't know how he's going to use it and then to see like all of this. And I used to tell our elders like at some point all this is going to come together. That's really what I said. So I've been praying and I want you to pray because here's the vision that the, the things that we've accepted as status quo in the mountains of Appalachia, Kentucky, the things that we've just accepted will never change, the things we've trusted government and jobs and everything else to change, that I've been there trusting them to change, I believe over the next decade, two decades, God's going to do what nobody else could do. And when we, when, when Billy Williams, when we were planting this church and we were early and I didn't want to name it, I didn't want to be the pastor, I didn't want to be a church. <laughs> and God, but call, God was calling me into it and he said, uh, he said, I want to name it New Beginnings. And I, I thought at that time, okay, that's the name of our church. But I, I believe God is doing something new. 
And, and I'm thinking, we're going to learn. I can't tell you everything that's in my heart. I'm asking you to go with me over the next few months to understand what it means to be a church on mission. To understand what it means that, you know what I've been praying for the last few weeks? That some of you are going to leave. And it's the ones I like. Not that there's some of you I don't like. But that we are developing leaders that are going to go, we're going to pour out into other communities. We are right now already talking with a pastor, person who feels called to plant a church in Whitesburg, Kentucky. I'm talking all over this region. I'm saying, what if God comes into these communities and breathes new life through a new work of a new church? That says that building, you could never, the community could never figure out what to do with it. Here it is. It's a community center. It's a church. It's like God at the center, kingdom focused and based. And it begins to transform communities by transforming hearts through local churches. And some of you may be thinking, where's my future? And like, we want you to be the best you can be. God may call you to go and be an elder at a new church. He may call you to be a pastor in a new church. He may call you to just be on a prayer team for a new church. We don't know what's going to happen. But I'm thinking that New Beginnings is not just the name of this church. It's a, it, it's a thought. It's God speaking truth into this region. That this could become a place where God brings new, breathes new life all across the mountains of Kentucky. It's a message to the entire region. If you're looking for a comfortable place to fit church into like your schedule, like, yeah, that, that's, I just need somewhere to go at 11 on Sunday mornings. You can absolutely do that. We got good soft chairs. I'll turn the AC down to like 68 during the summer because I burn up up here. I'm sweating. Are y'all freezing right now? Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to go to work for the cross of Christ, if you want a front row seat of what God is going to do, through the cross of Christ, then this is the place to be. God, thank you for inviting us consistently into the deep and into the unknown. God, thank you for preparing our hearts thank you for reminding us about what counts, about what matters, about if we have anything to boast in. God, I just want to be like Antioch where they, they sent Barnabas down to see this one thing. They said, "Go, don't go look at what the church is doing. Don't go look what so-and-so is doing. Don't go look how incredible this disciple is or this community or this congregation is. Go and see what the grace of God has done. God, let that be the testimony of this place, of this fellowship of believers, of this network of people you're going to bring together. God, bring your people together for the mountains in a way that you never have. God, we're going to trust you in that. We're going to pray for that. We're going to believe that things can change and will change in your name. 
God, that we, the church, and not just this building, but God, the, the, the church, the body of believers across this region, God, we can find some unity in the critical things that we agree on. And God, reach people in your name like we never have before. God, it'll be in such a way that the smartest of all people, the doubters of everyone, that at some point we'll be able to look at it and they will have no other explanation except to say it is a miracle. That God had to, he must have been in the midst to do something that drastic, that dynamic. And God, I believe you're going to bring together people here people who used to be from here, people from across the country. God, you've already been doing it in pockets around the region, in Harlan County and in, in, in Leslie County. And, and you've done these things, and we know you can do it. And God, we just want to give this, everything you've given us, we give it to you. We want to follow you in your work and your mission and serve you faithfully. God, we ask all this. In Jesus' name, amen.